Welcome to Practical Christian Living. So if I love God and I love people, I'm fulfilling all of the law and the prophets. It becomes even clearer. There's other places. Romans says this as well, but I'm going to give you the other one in Galatians. Galatians, it makes it even clearer. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. No one could keep all the Old Testament laws, but Jesus came not only to fulfill the law like only he could, but to show us that all the law is encompassed in one word, love. With more on the law, its purpose, and what it means to us in our lives today, here's Robert Furrow with Hebrews chapter 7. You realize that that is very easy to do. It's easy for you to take scriptures, go scripture hunting, to look for something that you quote by itself to make it say what you believe. And that's always a danger to study the Bible to back up what you believe. We want to know what the truth is and we want to know what it says and we want to develop what we believe based upon what the scriptures say. So here in Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to ask the question, did God change the law of Moses? Was there a change made to the law? And what is the relationship between Gentiles and the law? And does it change if you are Jewish and involved in the law? What happens when we get saved? Do we interact, if you're, if you're Jewish and you get saved, do you now interact differently with the law of Moses? There are a number of religious groups that are growing. Uh, I think this is a very important issue for us to be able to talk about, for you to be able to be equipped to interact with some people. There are different Torah-keeping groups that are raising up. Some of them believe that you get saved just like we do. They believe in salvation the same way that we do. They're, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They just believe you have to keep the law afterwards. You, you came to Christ by his blood, the sacrifice of the law, and you've got to keep the law. And in that group, you're going to find those that keep the Sabbath, those that keep the, the dietary laws, those that keep the ceremonial laws. And you're going to find different varieties of each one. So a lot of the stuff that we're going to say tonight just can't be, you just can't cut and paste onto someone who says, I believe we need to keep the law. Now, there are also those that believe that you are saved by the law, that you have to keep the law to be saved. There are also those who will say, you don't have to keep the law to be saved. And then what they teach and what they put up on their websites is that you have to keep the law to be saved. So you've got to kind of wonder, they're telling me to my face that you don't have to keep the law to be saved, but in their webpage it says, you have to keep the law to be saved. So it makes you wonder which one is really the truth. Are they just mistaken? Do they not want to be as, as harsh as they are on their webpage? Also, you can find very aggressive people in these groups. If you run into certain Torah-keeping groups, they can be angry, they can be aggressive, and you may want to evaluate whether or not you really even want to hunt it down with them. You may want to, on your own, search these things out. And if questions are brought up, to seek them out. Um, I'm not saying, you know, the Bible says there are differences among us that the truth can be known. So I'm not saying that you don't talk to people that disagree with you. I, I'm just telling you that here's my opinion on why people get aggressive when they have a difference of doctrine. Personally, I believe that they are insecure. 
that there's really good evidence that what, they're, what they believe is wrong. And so they get really aggressive because there's really good evidence. If I have a strong conviction about what I believe, for example, I believe that, a, that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if there's a reason to separate, there are some pastors who strongly believe the only reason to separate is sexual immorality. I believe if someone is being physically abused that they can separate. You separate not for a divorce, but you separate for reconciliation. You separate in order to get the situation fixed. But I believe that Paul says that. And I'm very confident with my position. So when I have a pastor challenge me, and we've had that, because we might have the wife going here and the husband going to another church. And when they hear the advice that we've given to the wife, they're angry with me. And so I take their call and talk to them. But I'm very confident. And I don't attack them because I feel like I'm rooted and grounded really well in Scripture with the things that I'm sharing. With something that I'm not that confident with, I might find myself getting a little more emotional because I'm, I don't, I'm not really all that confident. And I think when it comes to, there's some very straightforward passages that we're going to see tonight that help us to know that the law, that we're interacting with the law is not the same as it was. And so you have to go around those. You've got to do something with it. Now, I think, I think they're wrong. I, I literally think they're wrong. I don't know how you can go around these. The way that some of the groups go around it is to actually deny Paul's writings. Paul is so direct and so straightforward when he talks about the law changing that they will deny his writings at all. They'll just say they're not scripture. Another way that they'll get around it is they'll go, well, when it says that the law has changed, it doesn't mean the law of Moses. It means the law of the spirit or it means the law of sin. Uh, it means some other law has changed, but not the law of Moses. But when you go back to context, the context is talking about the law of Moses and there's almost no way to get around it. But when you start talking to someone and they're just going to kind of keep making uh, corrections into what they believe by what they believe, then it's, it just becomes very difficult. So it's good for us to know what we believe about it, be able to understand what it is. So I want to give you, I want to start by giving you, um, there's actually six statements that I want us to look at. I've got five and a bonus statement, but six statements. Uh, and, and I'm going to cover different scriptures about what the Bible says about the law. So this is six, six statements about what the Bible says about the law when we are saved. And this comes from, we're in Hebrews chapter 7, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 12. We're going to cover this tonight as well, where it says, and they're talking about Melchizedek and Jesus being from the tribe of Judah and the Levites having the priesthood. So they're talking about the fact that Jesus becomes a high priest forever according to Melchizedek and not by the Aaronic priesthood. And so in Hebrews 7, 12, it says, for the priesthood has changed. Of necessity, there is also a change in the law. So the writer of the Hebrews is pointing out that you used to have to be of the line of Aaron, but now there is a change in the priesthood. And it is now according to Melchizedek. And there's no way you can say that's not a change. You had to be of the line of Aaron before, but now he is a priest forever by Melchizedek. And we'll see that as we, as we get into it here. But that's kind of where I'm, I'm looking at this. So it says there is by necessity a change in the law. So what kind of changes does the Bible tell us took place in the law? We know that it, one of them was the priesthood. Well, let me give you six other ones, five and a bonus statement. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Okay? 
So in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says this, do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law until it is fulfilled. So when we talk about the Aaronic priesthood, which changed, there was jots and tittles. That's the Hebrew accent marks all over the passages that said that you had to be of the lineage of Aaron in order to be a high priest, in order to be a priest. But now Jesus is a priest by Melchizedek. And so that had to change and it changed by Jesus fulfilling the law. He became the high priest that gave the sacrifice, who became the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who fulfilled everything in the law. He said he didn't come to do away with it. The law isn't bad. The law is good. The law reveals to us our sin. That's why it's good. It's just weak. It just can't help you to keep the law. It can show me that I'm a sinner. It just can't help me not sin. And so in, in uh, the second statement that we have is that the law was always a shadow of things to come. From the, from the inception of the law, it was a shadow of something that was an actual image. A shadow is not the thing. If, you know, you're watching somebody come, the sun's low, and you see a shadow coming around the corner, you're waiting for somebody, you might be able from the shadow to tell who it is, but it's not it. You don't run up to the shadow and say, hi, good to see ya. It's a shadow. So Hebrews 10.1 says this, and we're going to get to this in Hebrews, but Hebrews 10.1 says, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. He's talking about the shortcomings of the law, that the law had to give sacrifices over and over and over again. And those were shadows of the image of Jesus giving his life for us on the cross and now us not having to go back again and again and again. So our sins were totally taken away where there was a repetitive nature in that shadow. In Hebrews 9, 24, it says, for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands. That, that would be the holies of holies that were in the temple when this was written, which are copies of the true. So that holies of holies, and, and could you imagine if that was still around today? If we could go visit the holies of holies, and only the high priest could go back in once a year, what a special place we would see that as. But he says that's a copy of something that's up in heaven, a copy of the original. It says, for Christ did not enter the holies of holies made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he did this up in heaven. There's one more passage, Colossians 2.16, which says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink. Remember, there's all kinds of dietary laws. Let no one judge you in food and drink regarding festivals. There are seven Jewish festivals a year. New moons, there are new moon celebrations or Sabbaths. These are all Jewish. Let me read them again. So let no one judge you in food or drinks or regards to festival or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow. That's our statement. Remember, these things are shadows, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. 
That right there tells us he is the one who is the image. The law is a shadow. And we find Jesus when we study the law. The power of studying the law, the power of studying the first five books of Moses is that we find Jesus throughout it because these things are shadows, types of him. The third statement is that we keep the law. Uh, excuse me. I'm, I'm going to redo the statement than what I've got written here. Jews, Israel, was kept under the law until Jesus came. Because as a Gentile, my ancestors were kept under the law, right? But those in Israel were kept under the law until Jesus came. Until. So it was a time until Jesus came. It says in Galatians 3, 23 through 25, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice the justification isn't by the law, but we're justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. Once you've come to faith, the law was a tutor. Now you're no longer under the tutor. So once Christ comes, you are no longer under the law. He goes on to say in Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Pr pretty clear that we are kept by the law until Jesus came and then justified. And the law for us Gentiles, it reveals to us sin as well. When we learn the Ten Commandments, Right. Even if we didn't believe in God, they're a moral guideline for us. We don't have to keep the Sabbath because that's part of their ceremonial laws. Even and when people ask me, do you believe you can keep the Ten Commandments? I've got to honestly say no, I be, because Jesus is our Sabbath. Hebrews chapter four. OK, it's a little bit of a, a sidetrack, some rabbit trails. So let's get back to the fourth statement. We are now under a new law, the law of love. So we have a, a law of love now that we interact with. So, so this is Jesus in Matthew 24, 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all of the law and the prophets. So if I love God and I love people, I'm, I'm fulfilling all of the law and the prophets. It becomes even clearer. There's other places. Romans says this as well, but I'm going to give you the other one in Galatians. Galatians, it makes it even clearer for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying the one word that fulfills the law is love. All of the law is fulfilled in this one word. It says right there, the law is fulfilled. So we keep the law when we love one another. Hebrews 9.10 says, concerned only with food and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of the... Um, so I'm not sure why I'm reading that. So let's just skip that. I'm not sure why that's there. The next service won't get that. You guys got that special little treat. All right, so the fifth statement 
is that Jesus came to set us free from the law. The Bible teaches that Jesus came to set us free from the law. Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When you believe, it is the end of the law. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born of Mary who was born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoptions as sons. We might be adopted as sons and daughters. He sent Jesus to a woman born under the law that we might not be under the law, but receive adoption. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I know you guys know this verse, but it's good to be reminded of this. We know it so well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Nothing, it doesn't say anything about the law. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, here's my, my sixth statement or my bonus statement. We are not under the law because we have died already. As Christians, when we gave our lives to Christ, we died with Christ. Paul said in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So now that you have died, the law has no more authority over you. While you were alive, it had authority, but now you are dead. Listen to what it says in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with use, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgences of the flesh. You look spiritual when you're trying to keep these regulations, but they are of no value because we've died. In Romans 1, 8, 1 through 4, talks about the rebirth of the Spirit and the fact that we are now, that we have had, Jesus said, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Now that we've been born again and our spirit has been brought to life, we are now under the law of the Spirit because there's been a change. We died with Christ. Spirit is alive. So it says in Romans 8, 1 through 4, it's going to sound very familiar to you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, that's not the law of Moses, this is different. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. In us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So because we interact with God in the spirit and we walk in the spirit and we do not walk in the flesh, we are no longer under the law and the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled for those who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. 
So we could say these passages, this passage teaches us three things about the law. Number one, we are free from the law because Jesus paid the price already. So we're not under it. Number two, we are free from the law because we, are, we have died with Christ. And being dead, we are no longer subject to the law. Number three, we are free from the law because we now live under a new law, the Spirit, and the law of love. Jesus said, take this cup of my covenant. You have the old covenant, the law, and the, the communion cup is a, is a new covenant cup. And that new covenant is love. Jesus said a new commandment, I get that you love one another. And he gave that commandment of love as a new covenant. That's the new covenant that we keep. So with all of that in mind, and hopefully that's clear, hopefully I got through it quick enough not to lose you guys with all of those passages. Maybe you were able to take some notes or can come back and, and pick them up again. If you have any questions about it, then I would go back to those verses and look at them again and really pour into it. I think it's good to have because these Torah-keeping groups are growing. I believe you are going to run into them. It's a satisfying thing to keep the law. It's a self-satisfying thing to, like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm better than they are. I'm keeping the law. But it's false humility, I believe, my opinion. I think it can be more than my opinion as well, by the way. I just don't want to judge them. I want to be careful that I don't judge them, but I want to speak what the truth is. So now we get to Hebrews chapter 7, and um, it's talking about these very things. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, remember chapter 6 ends with a statement about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, has three verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament spends a lot of time talking about him. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, if you don't know our study on Melchizedek, Abraham goes to rescue his nephew Lot, who has been taken captive by, by five armies from Sodom. And Abraham splits his men up and with favor from God, wins and gets the people back and the, the loot that they took back as well. And when he comes into the Valley of the Kings, the king of Sodom is there. And he says, you can keep the money, you can keep all the stuff, but give me back the people. And Abraham is going to say to him, I'm not going to take anything from you. Lest you say you made Abraham rich. I'm giving you everything back. I'm giving you the people, I'm giving you your money back. But before he could do that, in the middle of this conversation with with, with the king of Sodom, Melchizedek shows up and he has bread and wine and he gives it to Abraham. And Abraham takes a tenth of what he has of the loot and gives it to Melchizedek. So that's the three verses that you find in the book of Genesis. And so it goes on to say, verse two, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, this is the name of Melchizedek, King of Righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means in Hebrew, King of Righteousness. Do, do we know anybody else who's the King of Righteousness? And then also the King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Do we know anybody else who's royalty and peace, the Prince of Peace? Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse -verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. 
For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living. Do you love Jesus? Do you want to dig deeper in your walk with God? Then you are a great fit for REACH College with enrollment opportunities. To attend as a student or an auditor, the courses challenge you to analyze your way of thinking as you grow in your walk with Jesus. Find out more at thereachcollege.org. That is thereachcollege.org.